You're listening to Crossings Conversations from Church Divinity School of the Pacific, a show about leaders creating Christian community and sharing God's love. This is Kyle Oliver, Communications and Marketing Manager at Church Divinity School of the Pacific, and I'm here with the Right Reverend Susan Brown Snook, Bishop of the Diocese of San Diego. Bishop Susan, thanks so much for being with us. Glad to be with you. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thank you. Yeah, me too. Uh, so we're going to be talking today about uh, leadership formation and the and uh, thoughts on the future of leadership formation in the Episcopal Church. Uh, you have been serving now for uh, still a relatively short time in the uh, Diocese of San Diego, but um, we wanted to uh, to start by getting your perspective on um, you know in that in that relatively new role. Um, how has your thinking about leadership formation changed? I didn't have a whole lot of experience before I came into this role with um, commission on ministry or uh, formation of candidates for ordination. Um, and so it's been a real learning experience for me. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing I would have to say is the um, leadership is obviously ab- absolutely essential for implementing the vision of the diocese and ordained leadership in particular, because we uh, we equip our ordained leaders to lead communities and to implement our vision. Mm-hmm. Um, here in San Diego, our vision is all about uh, mission evangelism and uh, sharing the good news of Christ in in the different ways that that manifests. Uh, you know, the good news of Christ manifests in in true evangelism. Uh, it manifests in speaking to the social issues that are confronting us at this time. It manifests in the way that we worship and the way that we uh, protect our communities in a public health crisis and so forth. Mm. Um, and so what I have learned is that having our vision for the diocese is absolutely essential to know what kind of leaders we want to train and ordain. And that Mm -hmm. includes lay leaders as well. But um, we have been thinking a lot about the kind of uh, people we want to um, discern ordained callings with and about how to form them for ministry. And so I believe that despite all the mess that's going on all around us everywhere, um, we need to change our focus in the church from focusing on a narrative of decline, which has been the the, uh, overriding story in the Episcopal Church for at least a decade now, um, to a narrative of mission. Hmm. We have really good news to share. We have a really important mission to accomplish. And um, I think that uh, to accomplish that mission, we need to have leaders who are um, who are trained to be um, innovators, entrepreneurial leaders, um, uh, community organizers, people who can connect with the communities around them, people who have a really good um, a good handle on what is the good news for the community. Uh, in, it, for whatever community you're ministering to, what is the good news of Christ that we have to pr- proclaim? And they need to have a willingness to go out and proclaim it. So, I mean, there is one eternal truth. There, there is eternal truth that is, is applicable everywhere. But uh, the good news uh, has different um, 
focus or a different concentration in different communities. So people need to understand what that good news is for them and for their neighborhoods. Um, and they need to learn how to proclaim it. Not all of us are gifted one-on-one -on -one evangelists, but all of us um, should be able to lead a community that proclaims the good news, that gets out into the neighborhood, that responds to the needs that we see there. Um, so, so that's important. I believe it's more important than ever now to have um, multicultural understanding and training. Um, in our context, you know, Spanish is very important. But it's more than that. We need to understand the experience of um, racial groups other than racial and ethnic groups other than the dominant group in our society and the dominant group in our church. Um, and so uh, I think that uh, multicultural training needs to go uh, further than, say, anti-racism training and and to help people get some sort of basic understanding of the history and viewpoints and so forth of the, of the ethnic groups that are in our communities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wonder um, you talk about um, um, under understanding how the good news might sort of resonate differently or take root differently in different communities. Um, um, what's your sense of like, how does one how does one come to um, a, a sort of like get, you know get retrained to to hear the hear hear that good news in different ways in different places you know like what I, I um, in in a, in a sort of concrete way what does that like look like? Well, the easiest way to understand the good news for the people in your context is to be uh, similar to those people, to have um, uh, basic affinity for those people. Um, so, uh, you know, I came to adult Christian faith as a young, upwardly mobile professional um, who discovered that life was completely empty um, if all I was concentrating on was success, you know, and making money and so forth. And so in my, uh, in my ministry as a parish priest, those, that was the kind of community that I resonated with deeply. And, and so the good news for them um, would be that life is not about these things that ultimately lead to emptiness. There is a deeper meaning and purpose to life, and you have something unique to offer the world that God wants to empower you to offer. The good news might look very different in a poverty-stricken community um, or a community of uh, homeless people or a community of immigrants or, uh, you know, every context is different. And, and every one of those communities needs to hear the good news that is relevant to them. So what I uh, had to offer about life not being empty is true everywhere. Um, but other people need to hear other aspects of the true good news that we have to proclaim. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. I wonder if you've heard some stories uh, from, I would say, you know, from, from seminarians, from recent graduates, from other sort of new leaders uh, in your, in your context in, in the Diocese of San Diego. What are some, some stories of sort of new leadership that you're hearing that, that make you hopeful for the future of the church? What I'm really hopeful about is the way 
that uh, younger, newer ordained and lay leaders are talking differently about mission than they than they were back in 2003 when I graduated from CDSP. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I I think that the um, the younger generation of new leaders, rising leaders in our church, are really uh, passionate and focused on proclaiming the good news in in new ways. I think that they are um, they are not so focused on getting a job as an associate and then as a vicar and then as a rector and then as a cardinal rector and then a dean and whatever. They're not so focused on the career track. And actually, what they realize is that that career track. A lot of places it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, and so yeah. and so they are in ministry as an adventure, and they realize that they will be proclaiming the the good news of Christ to a wider society that has decided that that is irrelevant to them. Yeah, a lot of them have, or have a very negative view of what that is based on the behavior of some uh, prominent Christians. Um, and so uh, they are starting from a new place. They're starting from a place where they realize that ministry is going to be an adventure, that they're probably going to have to be a part of completely reinventing the church um, over the course of their ministry over the next 20 or 30 years. We're going to find a lot of things are different. Um, and they, uh, because they don't have so much security to look forward to, they realize that we are on a mission of discipleship. Um, and and that's what um, that's what they want to accomplish: helping people um, hear the good news of Christ and also learn to follow Him and to uh, implement His mission in the world, which means working toward uh, social and racial justice and um, you know working to uh, make tangible changes in in the the well being of people. And not simply um, providing the very highest quality worship service, which is important. We should do that. But a worship service that's very high quality could happen in a park. Um, it could happen in a traditional sanctuary with incense. Um, it needs to be what is right for the the worshiping community. Mm-hmm. Great, thank you. So I, I want to invite you uh, for this next question to, uh, you know. Really uh, think big, let your imagination go wild. Um, uh, we uh, are inviting participants here to um, to imagine that they had the chance to uh, commission or or team teach or you know however you want to think of it um, a, a course for today's seminarians taught by any instructor you know any anyone you can think of. Um, uh, with with those parameters, I'm curious uh, who would you invite to teach and what would you call the course. Well, um, it so happens that I was uh, working just this morning uh, on figuring out what a course like that might look like. Mm. Totally unrelated to this interview, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I mentioned that our local uh, school for ministry, for local formation, mostly for deacons, but a few priests, um, is currently going through a visioning process um, to figure out really what kind of leaders we want to uh, train and ordain and, and how to, how to prepare them for ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, so the course that we're designing um, will be something like church mission, but I mean, that's a, 
a really basic dumb name. So we haven't gotten to the name yet. Um, but I think that it needs to include elements of everything we've talked about. It needs to include um, what is what is the good news of Christ? Let's start at the beginning because most Episcopalians actually don't have a very good handle on it. Like what is the good news of Christ? Mm-hmm. If, if we say it's about more than just going to heaven when you die, which we do, then what is it? Um, yeah. And we yeah. all need to have a, have a handle on that and we need to learn and practice how to share it. Um, it will include uh, leadership training, like missional leadership training. Like um, how do you, um, how do you lead your congregation out into the community in a community organizing sort of fact finding kind of way to connect with people and learn what the needs are, both spiritual and physical of the people in your community and bring that back and start working on what is God's vision for your congregation. Um, So some community organizing kind of training. Um, It will include a multicultural component uh, that'll be a big part of our training anyway, but um, but we want people to go and experience different kinds of multicultural ministry contexts and reflect on them and reflect on what that says about what they've always assumed the church will be. Um, so um, so I would say um, learning about evangelism, learning about uh, community organizing, and learning about multicultural ministries. Um, those are the things that I think that ordained, ordained leaders will need to be able to do um, to change the, the narrative in the church from a narrative of decline to a narrative of mission and, and start leading the church in that direction. Well, that's a good segue, I think, uh, grounded in you know the context of a, of a course for your context. Um, I'm curious, uh, from your perspective, you know, we, we decided we didn't want to lead with this question about like, what should we do differently? Um, but we do think it's a really important question. And um, so is there is there another um, change? Uh, is there a change that you would want to make to how leaders are trained in the Episcopal Church um, that you think could make a, a really positive difference? Or if, if you think you know, it's something you've said already. Could you sort of elaborate on that? Well, I I greatly appreciate what CDSP is doing in its uh, pioneering approach to distance learning. Mm. Um, so your your low residency MDiv and Anglican Studies programs are really important because I think fewer and fewer people can go away for residential seminary, um, and. Uh, um, Related to that, I I would say I would I would love to see ways to train ordained leaders with great academic rigor and everything else um, who for whom English is not their first language and it's very difficult for them to do academic kind of work in English. Um, if there is a way to provide. Um, uh, Appropriate seminary training for uh, for people coming through, you know, not the not the usual kind of Episcopal circles, and who are called to leadership in, you know, not not the majority context, but in um, in other ethnic kind of con- contexts, especially Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be really helpful to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so now I'm pausing because I'm trying to remember your exact question. Forgive me for not having this at the tip of my tongue and having done better research, but my memory is that uh, that you served in that sort of capacity for for some time, um, you know, in a in a non traditional you know kind of setting. Um, is there anything you'd want to say about like sort of what you learned on the job in 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 a setting like that that has been that has sort of opened up these questions for you? Does that make sense? Yes. So I was a church planter. Um, and the, uh, the majority of my priestly career was spent in the church that I planted, which is Church of the Nativity in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. It was a wonderful adventure. And I learned that ministry um, needs to be an adventure, that people who believe that they are joining uh, Jesus in a mission to do something new and tremendous are really motivated to do remarkable things. Mm-hmm. And that um, it, it was it was a miracle, really, when I was on that adventure. I, you know, I started with 10 people and in a living room, and it grew, you know, into a, church, a, a school cafeteria and then into an office building, and then we built a building. Um, and the remarkable thing was, you know, you start with nothing, and then you watch a thing become... Mm-hmm come into being. And uh, so, so that in itself is incredibly rewarding and exciting. But, but the, um, the great thing was that anytime we had a need um, and did not know where it was coming from, God provided something. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you know, when we were with those 10 people, um, Turned out the the 11th person that joined us was an amazing uh, bookkeeper and experienced Mm. church accountant, right? You need to be able to count the money. The 12th person that joined us was an experienced uh, godly play teacher. So all of a sudden we had a a children's minister. And then, you know, number 13 and 14 were a married couple who wanted to do youth work. And it was like every time we needed something, even when we were in despair, like our... um, our school where we were meeting decided they didn't want a church meeting there anymore. And we, there was no way we could build a building and a member stepped forward and said, Hey, I've got this suite in an office building. I'll let you use it rent free for five years. And it was like, uh, it like every time we needed something, God provided it. So, so what I, what I have to say is do not despair of things that look impossible because um, I think I've read this somewhere. Nothing will be impossible with God. Mm, yeah. That sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's helping me see too. I, I never thought about it this way, but you know, you talked about the, the context of watching something new come into being and, and maybe one of the gifts of, of these new entrepreneurial kinds of, of ministries and, and finding our way into this new reality for the church, whatever it's going to look like. Um, maybe that puts us in a place once again, to be able to have that experience of, of um, unexpected provision. Right. Um, yeah. You can't, you showed up with a couple of lo- loaves and some fish and all of a sudden you're feeding 5,000 people. Yeah. And this is, this is the Christian journey. This is the yeah. Christian adventure and God does provide. Yeah. And it, and it, and it may stand in some distinction to the experience that, that has been normative for so long of like, well, we've already got everything. 
Um, and, <laughs> and, and, and so, um, so in some ways, like the only, the only thing we can experience is loss. Um, if, if, if we've been in this position of, you know, even, even if we know that the so-called good old days weren't actually what we remember them as, um, uh, it, it, it seems like, um, I don't know. I, I just, I wonder if the, this, um, the sort of spirit of new creation that, as you said, is, is sort of taking hold in a new way in a new generation of leaders might help us all re-engage with that, with that sense yeah. that God provides. Yeah. You know, uh, there's um, a very real sense in which the current time feels apocalyptic, right? It feels like everything is falling apart and every possible thing that is that could possibly go wrong is going wrong right now in ways that we never imagined could happen. Um, and there are times when we are tempted to lose hope. Like, you know, all these people that are sitting on the couch watching church online or, or not, um, are they ever going to come back to church? And, you know, those are very real concerns. Um, but the fact is that times when people are losing hope and feeling like the world does not have a lot to offer them. Those are the times when the church has thrived in the past and the times when the church has hope to preach because, um, you know, the, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ tells us that there is always hope um, that God provides us hope and that God is always working. And the coming of the Holy Spirit tells us that in a, in a world where we're not sure we speak the language anymore, the Holy Spirit gives us new words to speak. Um, and we always have good news to proclaim. Yeah. Well, um, this has been so rich. Uh, in as we start to wrap up, is there anything? Uh, is there any other advice that you would want to share with a seminary that is uh, contemplating its its mission and its role uh, in the in the decades ahead, or the years ahead, the months ahead? <laughs> um, I I'm more convinced than ever that you know good basic training in Bible and theology is 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 absolutely essential. Um, but what I would love to see um, seminaries do is figure out how to, to uh, jump on board with the kind of new mission orientation that I think the whole church will need to adopt. Repeating myself, but you know, yeah. <laughs> except for the part about Bible and theology, I don't want to undercut that part. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and finding the ways that the, you know, the, um, it's not as if, and you know, I think this is exactly what I hear you saying. It's not like those things are antithetical. You know, it's yeah. it's how do you teach Bible and theology in that in that context and let them speak to this new, you know, movement. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Cool. Well, Bishop Susan, we really appreciate your time and your insight, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing your voice alongside uh, many others in this piece. Thank you. It's great talking to you. Crossings Conversations is a co-production of Church Divinity School of the Pacific and Trinity Church Wall Street. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or share it with a colleague. You can learn more about the only Episcopal seminary on the West Coast and subscribe to Crossings Magazine at cdsp.edu.